Thank you so much, Tim. Do any of you remember the time when ears were just for listening? Now we have everything attached to them. They've become beasts of burden. As Tim said, my name is Peter. It's, it's been a long time since I've stood here, and it's really a great privilege to be with you all this morning and really appreciate the team that set up all the sound and video stuff for us so that we can just get up and deliver a word from the Lord. Well, we've already referred to what's been going on this week, and uh, I've, I've changed the title of the message to What a Difference One Week Makes. Um, because all of us in this country have been shaken by what has happened. And uh, Tim spoke about lamenting and the fact that it's, it really has shocked us to see some of the things that have been going on. Uh, just a week ago, we saw ominous images of rebellion and anarchy, uh, destruction. And then towards the end of the week, we've seen video clips of Christians singing in the malls and in the hospitals. We've had marches for peace uh, and for stopping looting, uh, is actually what they said, right here in Massey. Um, and uh, it's so good to see so many people responding the right way to all these problems. And I just love what Marette said when, when she sang that, you reign, he reigns above it all. And when Tim was talking about the fact that there is Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life in abundance, I always tack on that verse that greater is he who is in you who believe than the one that's in the world. Uh, because we, we mustn't think that Satan has equal powers to God. And Jesus triumphs above it all. So this has been a, a pivotal week, I believe, for South Africa. Um, some of us were able to uh, tune in on Zoom to a prayer meeting with some pastors and their members in KZN. And it was so encouraging to hear the stories about how they were dealing with, how they were coping with the situation they were confronting, how they were getting food to the elderly, how they were going out and cleaning up the mess. And just wonderful to see God's people responding positively to some very difficult things. Now, there, as Tim said, we're in the, in the Gospel of Mark, and we've been taking our time going through it. Uh, uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this week we are in the final week of Jesus' life. Because that was a week that really did change everything in this world. Uh, not just for one country and not just for a season, but it changed everything for eternity. And I'm so grateful for that, that Jesus came and he died for us. And that week in Jerusalem changed everything for all of us forever and for eternity. I want to just pray as we uh, launch into the message for this week. Father, we come to you scattered all over the place and yet united by technology and by your Holy Spirit, and probably not in that order. And we're so grateful that we have your Holy Spirit with us, so that as we hear your words, you can work in each one of our hearts, you can bind us together in spite of our separations, and you can do great things. You are not limited by the situations we're facing at the moment. And so, Lord, we, we just want to commit this time to you. Father, I pray that this message would be a message of encouragement, and that we would be strengthened in our resolve to stand for you. So Lord, just bless 
this time of sharing your word together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks back, Luke was uh, sharing about the journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And on the way, he passed through Jericho and he healed that blind man, Bartimaeus. He'd come from a season of many miracles and healings and amazing things happening up in the area around Galilee. And now he was really steadfastly going towards Jerusalem uh, where he was going to face his death on the cross. Uh, and so uh, we saw uh, when Luke spoke two weeks ago, the triumphal entry, entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. And then last week, Tim spoke to us um, about how Jesus went into the temple and began to chase out those who were involved in trade then uh, there and how he said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've made it into a den of thieves. And this led to a reaction from the Jewish leaders and particularly from the Sadducees. Uh, it speaks about the, the chief priests and the scribes. And normally the chief priest came, the, the high priest came from the, the group called the Sadducees. And I'm going to speak into that just a little bit time. But uh, we have Jesus now being questioned. On what authority are you doing this? How is it that you are interfering with the running of the, uh, of the temple? And they hadn't noticed that when he spoke, he said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. He was giving notice to them that he is God and this is God's house and no one else has any right to be interfering with it. So on the Tuesday of that last week of Jesus' life in Mark 11 verse 28, he said to them, or well, they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? They didn't do anything to Jesus at that moment. They really wanted to deal with him. But because of the people, they feared the people. And I just love that. That there's been in our country such a rising up of ordinary people to stand against some of the anarchy and nonsense that's going on. In Mark 12 and verse 12 to 13 says, Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable, which Tim referred to last week, against them. But they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. I want to just give you a little bit of context concerning these Pharisees and Herodians. We mentioned the Sadducees, and they were a wealthy, uh, influential group of Jews. They were outwardly very religious. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is they had a monopoly on the temple trade. And uh, gradually, the system in the temple had evolved from being a house of prayer, focusing on God, to focusing on the sacrifice and what was going on here is the Sadducees controlled the money changers and you had to change your regular money into um, temple uh, coins uh, in order to buy an animal for sacrifice. And many people traveled long distances, so they couldn't bring their animal with them. So they were being ripped off by the money changers and by the sellers of the sacrifices. And this was controlled by the Sadducees. And this is why they did not want Jesus interfering and claiming this was his house because they thought they were in charge of it. We then come to the Herodians. 
they were a minority uh, Jewish group, and they were not a religious sect. They were uh, not religious at all. They uh, basically supported Herod and the Roman rule that he enforced, and they did that so that they might have favor. So they were basically despised by everyone uh, because the Jews were not happy with uh, the way that they sided with Rome. And the Romans thought they were pretty miserable sellouts as well. So uh, the Herodians were not popular. Uh, and then we have the Pharisees, the third group uh, that Jesus is, is talking about here. And the Pharisees were religious. They were very zealous about the law of the Old Testament, but they also put a lot of emphasis on the customs of the fathers. And so they, they got very bogged down in um, religious minutia. And, and, and that was a problem for, for Jesus and a problem for the people. But most of all, it was a problem for them. Because when they read the word about Messiah, they had all sorts of teachings about what would happen when Messiah came. And so when Jesus came, and he came so differently from the way they expected, their minds were not open, neither were their spirits, because they were so legalistic to recognize that the Messiah was there amongst them. And when he said, this is my father's house, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, they didn't get it, that this is the Messiah. And so they resented Jesus because uh, he didn't fulfill their hopes for the Messiah. So uh, we have this, this uh, problem with these three groups of people. And the Sadducees, being wealthy and influential, they didn't want to get their hands dirty going and sorting this problem out with Jesus. So they sent the Herodians and the Pharisees to question him. And Tim spoke last week about some of the questions that they, they had for him. But we want to get on to uh, the next aspect um, which again Tim did uh, refer to, but it really is at the center of our message today. And they came to Jesus, and in, in chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, the first part, first of all, they flatter Jesus. This was so, so insincere, and I'm not going to bother to read their words, but you can read them. They're on the screen there if you like. Um, they came flattering him to try and get, a, an, uh, to, get to hear his ear, and then their question, this is, this is the sting. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? So this was the question. The tax they were referring to was a poll tax. Every Jew living in Jerusalem under Roman rule had to pay this tax to the Roman regime uh, that dominated most of the Mediterranean world at that time. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was a humiliation and it was a reminder that we are a subject people. We are not free. Rome is in charge here. And they hated the Romans, and therefore they hated this tax that they had to pay. We see now Jesus' response, and it's really interesting. I'm sure you've all noticed many times when uh, interviewers on television speak to politicians in particular. And they'll ask them a fairly direct question that demands a straightforward answer. And somehow they will manage to turn it around and speak about their message, which has got nothing to do with the topic of the conversation. Now, Jesus didn't exactly do that, but he refused to give them a straight yes or no as to whether they should pay this temple tax. Uh, we read in Mark 12, verse 15, the second part. But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it, 
And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, render or give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So this coin, this Roman coin, had a picture of Caesar on the front. It also had a, a, an inscription upon it. And I believe that that inscription said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the god Augustus. Um, and isn't that amazing? The interesting thing about these ancient empires and the, the way that the rulers, the emperors, the kings uh, dealt with, with matters was that they loved to see themselves as like gods. And they had these images made of themselves and they were reaching for uh, wealth, power, adoration, and eternity. They longed to live forever, and of course they didn't. Uh, some of you will remember Daniel's greeting of Nebuchadnezzar, which was a standard form of greeting the leader, when he said, O king, live forever. Uh, it was kind of the way of saying, God bless you. Um, <laughs> but what they wanted, they wanted to live and remain influential forever. So Jesus here doesn't give a straightforward answer. Um, uh, he doesn't give them a straight yes or no, but he answers both, both halves of the question. Um, I had a, somewhere, a, a Turkish coin, which I thought would be closest to the Roman Empire. I don't have anything uh, more like that. But on it, it's got a, a picture or an engraving of Ataturk, who is a, a great hero of the, of the Turkish people. And uh, he tried to rebuild the Ottoman Empire, the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century. And modern Turks love Ataturk for what he did to uh, rebuild the nation. And I, I wouldn't say they regard him as a god um, because they're all good Muslims, but they really do have great respect for him. So we can see this kind of thing can happen, um, but it was... Uh, it, it, it's something, of course, that was, was trying to cross, grasp at the wind. That, that you cannot live forever and your rule will not last forever. Which is a good thing for all leaders to remember, uh, particularly in these difficult and interesting times. Now, this idea of images and being gods as well as kings was common throughout the ancient empires, particularly in the Middle East and it goes back a long, long time. Uh, you find it with Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. You find it in Egypt. All of these ancient emperors uh, tried to have a reminder of their power and their longevity, their wealth, and so on. But this idea did not start with uh, people. And that's why when Jesus says, um, whose image is this? And they, they said, Caesar. And he said, well, give to Caesar what belongs to him and to God what belongs to God. And many times when preachers look at these texts, they, they use it to uh, explain the gap uh, between state and church. We call it separation of the state and church. Uh, and so the, the religious and the uh, governmental aspects were separated by Jesus and they that idea has been with us ever since then. 
But I don't want so much to talk about the political and, and uh, those aspects of it. I want to talk about this thing that was embedded in Jesus' question. And these people went to trip him up, but actually his answer or to their question really um, enabled him to preach his primary message that was with him right from the beginning. So um, we, we remember that um, Jesus uh, in, in, in Genesis, well, God in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, speaks about the original image bearers. And you will know what I'm talking about if you know anything about Genesis, where God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see here that man was made in the image of God. What an incredible reversal compared with the idea that the uh, kings had. The idea with the, with the kings was everybody had a coin in his pocket, and every time they got it out, they would be reminded of who's the boss. And God says to us, every time you go out and you rule this world on my behalf, you are extending the kingdom because they see my image in you. Wow. Just totally different from the ways of the world and I think really encouraging for us in these days that we are here in South Africa as image bearers because we are believers in God and I'm going to deal with that a little bit more so this this idea of image bearers was invented by God uh, not by men and uh, we we just uh, I'm just so grateful that he is in charge of course the tragedy is that Adam and Eve, who were the first image bearers, uh, were the most like God until Jesus came along, they disobeyed God. The tragedy of sin is that the image of God in man was marred, was damaged. Man's authority to rule uh, for God was lost. Death, toil, and the curse came upon us. It was just such a terrible mistake and terrible event. And the only good thing that came out of that was the promise that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. So we have a promise there right in the beginning in the book of Genesis that brings us hope that one day there's going to be a descendant of Eve who is going to uh, reverse this whole thing. And there are many, many examples throughout Old Testament scripture of, of uh Promises concerning the coming Messiah, and I'm not going to read uh, many of those. I just want to uh, bring a couple to your attention. Firstly, from Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26 and 27, where Ezekiel speaks under the anointing of the Spirit of God and says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my, my judgments and do them. 
So Ezekiel, way back, hundreds of years before the time of Christ, prophesies and says, God is going to put a heart in you instead of this heart of stone, which was a legalistic heart that tried to obey the law and failed. And instead, I'll give you a heart of flesh that is um, not just rock-like, but is, is malleable in the hands of God. A couple of verses before that prophecy, he says, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. A very interesting clause before this promise. He says to Israel, I'm not doing this because you've been so good. But basically because of my promise to Abraham, my promise way back to Adam that you would bring forth the Messiah, you people of Israel. And I'm not doing this because you're good. In fact, you're not. But I'm doing it because I am faithful to my covenant. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad God is faithful. In these days when we look around and wonder what's going on, just remember he is still in charge and he is still faithful and he will fill his word to us. Okay, one of the things that I love when I talk about images, and, and this is a, a slight digression, but I think you'll get the, the power of it, is that the image of God in us is far, far more powerful than these graven images. You see, the images of Nebuchadnezzar, of the pharaohs, of whoever it was, it was just a carving or a, um, a casting or a painting uh, whatever it was, it was just an image. There was no life in it. There was no power in it. Whereas the image of God in us comes from the Holy Spirit, who is life and abundance and peace and hope, uh, a comforter. He gives us power to do the things that God wants to be done. And I love the story of Dagon. Uh, when Israel was fighting against the Philistines, Israel was backslidden. The high priest was a wicked man and his sons were worse. Uh, we read about Eli uh, and the army of Israel went to fight against uh, the Philistines and they were losing in battle. So they sent for the Ark of the Covenant and they thought that if they brought the Ark, then they would be successful in battle. Now they were treating the Ark of God in the same way as the heathens treated their images. They were bringing it for good luck, for power in battle, and not because it was the dwelling place of God. On the ark was the mercy seat where the Spirit of God abode, if you like, when he was in the midst of Israel. And he was there to bless and keep them. Uh, but I'm, I'm quite certain the Spirit of God was not on the mercy seat when this ark of covenant was taken to the battle because they lost the battle and they lost the ark and the Philistines took it and they were so excited because they knew that this, uh, this ark was very powerful because they'd heard the stories about the God of this ark who'd taken them through the Red Sea and who'd conquered the, the land of Israel and so they were both afraid and joyful that this ark was now in their hands. And they took the ark and they put it in the temple of Dagon, their God, their image. And they, their thinking was, this, this God of the Israelites is not as powerful as Dagon because we have won the battle with our God, our image. When they went to the temple of Dagon the next morning, 
There was Dagon, this image, this statue, lying flat on its face before the ark of God. And so they, they didn't like that picture, so they picked him up and dusted him down and put him back on his feet. Next day when they came back to the temple of Dagon, he was once more fallen on the threshold of the temple. His hands and his feet were broken off, and he was lying there helpless before the ark of Israel. And so they sent the ark back. I just want to encourage you, because these images are still rampant in the world today. When we talk about um, witchcraft, ancestor worship, uh, these false religions that are rampant throughout Africa, and I, I have seen some very interesting and scary uh, demonstrations of their, their power in different places. But I want to tell you, in every case, I've seen the power of God is greater. So when we see the images on, on, on our television screens and hear what's going on, and particularly some of the excessive things, I believe those are inspired by Satan. He's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Just remember that the one in us is greater than he is, and we have the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit comes to do a number of things for us, but one of them is he empowers us to be the new image bearers, to have an impact upon this world. I just want to read to you a portion out of Hebrews, and this is concerning Jesus, and he's the one who who restored the image of God to this world. And he's the one who made this image available to us. And I'm going to read this in the King James Version. I think it's, it has a Shakespearean ring in these verses. And I love the poetic nature of it, but also the gravitas of that ancient um, King James language. Uh, those of you who don't speak it, I hope you uh, understand it enough to, to be able to get the message that we, that's coming across here. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. This is talking about Jesus. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, I hope you got that, Jesus came as the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus came as the perfect image bearer, restoring the image of God to this earth, but he also is the very one who holds up all things by the word of his power. He's the one who keeps this world ticking over in spite of some of our worst efforts. But more than that, he's the one that holds the whole universe in balance. He is all powerful. He is almighty. This is the savior we have. And we are looking at this uh, eternity shaking, eternity changing week when Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, and we see that, that when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. But it doesn't end there. Uh, Jesus has, resto has restored the image of God through himself, but now he wants to impart that image to us. 
And we get a number. There are so many scriptures I could read in the Old Testament that speak to this. But basically where Adam failed, Jesus restores the image of God. Um, We see that 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 image is restored on the earth. And there's a man of the Pharisees. And I want us to take note of this because although I said the Pharisees were part of that group of three unlikely um, Jewish parties that went to, to try and trick Jesus, the Pharisees were more religious, and there were a few of them who were open to hear the message of God. And one of them was, was Nicodemus, and we meet him in John chapter 3. Another one was Saul of Tarsus, and he took a little bit more persuading. Um, a voice came from heaven and a blinding light, but in the end, he got the message. Um, and we, we just see that there were many of these Pharisees who did turn and follow Jesus, although most of them were too hard-hearted. But what, jo- what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is, you must be born again, born of the Spirit. Otherwise, you can neither see nor enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. You see, the old man with all his sin, the image is marred. It's irreparably damaged. And Jesus says, you you must be born again. So the image of God can be rebirthed in you when you are born of the Holy Spirit. So that's the way we enter the kingdom of God. Do you know you're part of the kingdom of God already? And you bear the image of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And at this time when there is so much uncertainty and so much confusion, isn't it wonderful to see people singing worship songs uh, in malls, in hospitals? What are they doing? They're bringing the image of God to bear in the midst of the chaos. And I, I just think that is a, such an encouraging picture. And, and as I said at the beginning, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're talking about Jesus last week, this week, when everything has been shaken. I want to tell you, in that week, everything was shaken. The disciples thought all was lost. They ran and left Jesus on the cross alone. Only a few of the women were bold enough to stay there. Well done, the ladies. Um, But the men, Jesus' disciples, abandoned him. And some of us may be so shaken this week that we, we feel like just leaving. But I want to tell you, God has put you here for a reason. And we don't want to be leaving unless he tells us to go somewhere. But what we do want to be doing is realizing that in the malls, in the hospitals, wherever we go, we bear the image of God and People should be able to see that when they look at us, when they hear the words we speak. The interesting thing when, when these um, Pharisees and Herodians came with this coin and tried to trick Jesus, and he said, whose image is on this? Um, and, and he said, um, give to, to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to him. Right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he'd been baptized by John. He'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. He'd gone out into the wilderness. He'd been tempted by Satan. He had overcome Satan, unlike Adam. So he had um, been certified, verified as the image bearer of God in the world, restored. And he began to preach. And, And his preaching and before him, John's preaching was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God and he came bearing the image of God. 
And that image of God was upon him. People could see the difference. The Holy Spirit made such a difference. And people were drawn to him. And multiple miracles happened. So he has empowered us to become his image bearers. On the day of Pentecost, uh, he said to them, wait here until you receive the promise of my Father. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came on those 120 in the upper room in Jerusalem. They began to speak in tongues. Peter, who had just a little while ago denied Jesus, now is full of boldness and begins to declare the gospel. Thousands get baptized and the church is born and things begin to happen. Those disciples move out preaching in many different places and the church has not looked back. We've had a few hiccups along the way, but the Holy Spirit is still there to empower us to bear his image, just as he did those early disciples. For what reason? That we may be his witnesses. That's the whole point of image bearing is we are there to give witness to the fact that there is a God who created everything. He is almighty and he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sins. I just want to encourage you this morning as we come to the end of this message. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. He is there to give us power that we may be witnesses uh, he's there to encourage us, to strengthen us, to bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus has taught us. He's there to help us to be effective as image bearers. And if today you are not feeling uh, maybe that competent or equipped to be a bearer of the image of God, I would like to pray for you as, as we close off. And we're going to have a time of worship after that. But I, I just want to say that we are all here for a reason. If, if you are watching today and you don't know Jesus is your Savior, I want to encourage you. Tim will be telling you a, a couple of steps, some, some ways you can get the Word of God in your hands so that you can read about what Jesus has done for us and how you can become part of His kingdom. But I want to particularly right now just pray for those who maybe have been feeling a bit overwhelmed this last week and that... God's Holy Spirit will come to you. If, if you have not experienced that infilling of, of God's Spirit and the joy that it brings, I want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit of God, who was in Jesus and empowered Him, and He sends Him to be in us, to empower us, to be effective image bearers, carriers of the light of God in this world. I want to just pray for you. So whether you have been filled with the Holy Spirit sometime or whether you haven't, I want to pray that today you would receive an amazing anointing of the Spirit of God to be able to be effective as a witness in this world that is full of so many problems. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these amazing answers that Jesus gave to those who questioned his authorities. And he told us that we have responsibilities for the nation. We should pay our taxes to legitimate government. And we should be helping to make South Africa a better place. But he also said, give to God the things that belong to God. And those things are the gospel, the Holy Spirit the anointing upon us to go out and speak the truth of God. So Lord, I pray for everyone who's listening to this message this morning, that they would open their hearts to receive a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, send your Holy Spirit into every place where these words are landing in people's ears and hearts.
And Lord, send your spirit into that situation to bring strength and resolve and courage. Lord, as we face, face all of these different challenges, I'm just reminded of two things that Rigby said on Thursday at that prayer meeting. First, that this is an opportunity to reboot, to recommit ourselves to the challenge we've been given, the commission we've been given to take the gospel all over this world. And secondly, to focus our lives afresh on the gospel. So that was a message Rigby left in that prayer meeting. I want to pass that message on to you this morning. Reboot, make a fresh start, and base your conversation and your life upon the gospel. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.